I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by science and engineering educator, media producer, and podcaster, Dr. Shini Somara. Stay tuned. For me, as someone who loves education, I know that learning something and retaining it is so much easier when it's exciting. When that visceral switch goes off that helps us understand with clarity and more curiosity, basically when the subject material is artful and fun. And speaking of fun, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at MyGoodFriend. I know placing this plug into the intro is a little clunky, but before you know it, we're right back on track. So when that learning is fun and coming from that visceral emotional green light, it's likely doing wonders for our confidence and our self-esteem, fueling us to pursue and achieve so much more. For Dr. Shini Somara, she's been pursuing her passion of broadly sharing the joy of science, technology, and engineering, particularly to make it fun, tangible, and exciting for everyone. She's based in London and from a Sri Lankan immigrant family, and she has a doctorate in engineering and an expertise in fluid dynamics. Her PBS series, Crash Course Physics, is what drew my own kids to love her style and her teaching. And she's had a variety of successful media productions, sharing her fondness and expertise with so many. Her latest podcast, Innervation, focuses on the emotional qualities in science that we so need to magnify. We caught up recently to chat about her own journey and her reflections on the visceral emotions of learning for kids and adults of all ages. Well, it's interesting that you talk about an emotional switch because uh, for a long time, especially studying engineering, there was nothing emotional to the process. You know, STEM subjects tend to be very um, binary. Yeah. um, And there is no room for, you know, the heart and soul to be engaged in these subjects. You know, I think a lot of students choose STEM subjects because they want to help people in some way. I mean, particularly with medicine, you want to help people get better, have healthy lives. And so I guess, you know, in that way, it's emotional. Um, but for me, as an engineer, I, I always struggled with the lack of emotion. Mm. Um, and so a lot of my work now involves trying to bring out the human side of STEM subjects and 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 make people realize that scientists and technologists and innovators have are very human. You know, they're yeah. they're just as human as the rest of us. And and so I guess, yeah, a lot of my work is trying to switch that emotional side on. But I wouldn't have said that Crash Course was aiming to do that. Mm. But I think one of the successful things about Crash Course Physics is that we do make it very accessible. We make it very approachable, very friendly, fun. You know, physics is not something that most people think is fun. And so I think we hit those notes really well. And on the subject of adults finding Crash Course useful, I've had people come up to me in the street 
in London as well, because I mean, we made those episodes in America. Yeah. And, you know, I've had people really give me feedback that it's been helpful, particularly amongst adults who never wanted to um, admit that they knew nothing about STEM subjects. Mm. But the great thing about the series is that, you know, in the privacy of your, your own home, you can learn subjects that you maybe would have skipped to school because you just found them too scary. Well, I wonder if it's easy in both ways, right? For those who feel uncomfortable with the topics, it's easy to hide behind that. And even for those who don't feel that kind of emotional tug or that that real visceral reaction, you know, especially if you're very introverted as well, I wonder if some of these topics or fields in by tradition have been kind of tagged as being easy to just sort of be that binary person, that that person who kind of hides behind the topic. And, you know, hopefully it sounds like some of your work is really helping to kind of break a lot of those barriers as well. Yeah. I mean, I kind of experienced those barriers myself because I was never naturally gifted at mathematics, which is like the foundation of studying something like mechanical engineering. And so because my dad's an engineer, there was always pressure being the eldest child to go into engineering um, and take over the family business. And so really that was the expectation. And so I always um, knew that I would have to study engineering in some capacity. And early on, I was absolutely terrified of these subjects. I mean, I just didn't do well in them. I was getting terrible grades. And um, looking back, uh, I think one of the reasons why I found the subject so hard is because, you know, if you do have more of a creative side and you are more emotional, um, those subjects seem very cold. And that was one of my hopes for things like Crash Course Physics, but also the films I do for television about science and tech was to make them more um, warm and human and accessible and unintimidating. Yeah. Well, and, and do you still get, even now as you're you know, continuing to evolve in your career and even as you dig sometimes into the science aspects or the engineering aspects of your work, do you, do you still get that that visceral sort of feeling and that emotion by doing it? And and by the way, you know, are there also equally moments of discomfort that are important because they allow you to learn and iterate um, that much more? Yeah, I mean, gosh, that's such a profound question because um the thoughts that come up when you ask that are so multi-layered so um on the one hand i really enjoyed the fact that stem subjects were so rational and methodical because you know i i guess at some point i wanted to hide behind that logic where everything was extremely neat and tidy. It could be wrapped up in an equation. You know, there was always an answer. Right. It wasn't this objective kind of, I don't know, maybe I feel this today. <laughs> right. Or that. Let, let's, let's nebulize it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, with STEM subjects, there was always this underlying truth. You know, we as scientists or physicists may not have arrived at the truth at that point, but there was always this goal that, there was a definitive answer. It was just a matter of finding it. Um, and 
I think at the same time, what I really enjoy about my job is pulling out that very human side. And, you know, I'm quite an emotional person anyway. And so I've really loved seeing the passion uh, in the people that are in these STEM subjects, you know, seeing, learning why they're motivated to study what they study and, you know, often seeing solutions to really grave problems, you know. Um, One springs to mind the tornado technology that we were covering. Uh, We met a mother who lost her son. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though it was a really tragic story, uh, very, very sad, so sad. But um, what sprung out from it was so positive, you know, learning from failures and mistakes uh, so that we never have to endure that kind of suffering again. Mm. And so there's many kind of layers to why I do what I do. Um, And it really is kind of left brain, right brain, loving the logic, but loving (laughs) that that very um, real and human side to why we're doing this in the first place. Well, and I, yeah, I imagine that that combination or that that mixture and that blend of saying, "Look, there's so much joy that you receive from the achievement and the and the goal seeking, and again finding the answer, which is very much a truth," versus the chaos of of discovery and failure, and knowing that there's you know some motivation to fuel your achievements. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a very quick break, we'll come back and resume our conversation with Dr. Shimi Somara. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Dr. Shini Somara. You know, for you in, in the creative side and being the front-facing, you know, person of, of helping to share some of this, do you find that it's equally important to tell both sides of that story? To not just how much fun something is, but, you know, how uh, that chaos or that discomfort is actually very helpful? Yeah, I mean, I've I've told so many stories um, from so many different perspectives. I mean, I mentioned a very tragic story from which innovation was born. But, you know, there have been very light tech stories, you know, covering someone that built a jet suit and is now flying solo everywhere. Um, But also kind of you know, going on very um, important journeys of discovery and exploration. I mean, uh, a year or so ago, uh, I was, well, probably longer now because we've got had our lockdowns. Um, But with, um, when was it? I think it was 2019. I went on a journey to Canada to look at a dark matter detector that was buried two and a half kilometers under rock Um, adjacent to a mine in Canada and you know seeing all the scientists and physicists there who really 
are so passionate about trying to understand our universe mm. and this kind of age-old conquest of like trying to understand how it all began you know like really we're always so curious about how it all started I mean it's so mind-boggling and um yeah I think you know there are many stories to tell it's not always uh, making light of it yeah. or looking at the serious side but I think it's really motivation I mean, when we talk to artists, we want to understand why they paint the way they paint or create sculptures, you know, what are the origins of their creations? And I don't see science as being any different from that. Sure. No, on that, on that same note, um, you're Sri Lankan by background. And as you mentioned, the oldest child of a mechanical engineer. I'm curious about one thing, you know, the the natural sort of perception would be that there's a sort of automatic pathway into into pursuing you know engineering and science but i'm curious about the non-science pursuits or the ones of art as you mentioned or you know any of these sort of humanity based topics or or subjects how did kind of did did any of your passion or love for some of those topics make you a better scientist or an engineer in the end did you have sort of the push or pull of some of those non-science topics or non-science interests that in fact, you know, have actually made you a better learner or a better scientist or a better engineer? Gosh, I mean, I really wanted to be a fashion designer for so long. Yeah. Um, something artistic or creative or just, I love the drama of theater um, and, and, you know, aesthetic you know, really enjoy all of that. Um, and it's interesting because I think my dad really just was in total disagreement. Like he really didn't want me to be distracted by the arts. Mm. Um, and I think it has led to where I am today because, yeah. you know, here I am talking about science and tech for a living. But I really enjoy turning that content into something watchable. Yeah. Um, I have a real appreciation for how things are communicated. Mm. And so, you know, it's always about embracing all dimensions of ourselves. Uh, and I really disagree with any forms of education that cut children off from exploring all aspects of their brain. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, we are living in times where all of us are, are able to really become very multifaceted because I think so many people are able to learn online. Yeah. And so uh, I would never, ever uh, claim that any of my interests um, were wasted. You know, I've done things that, you know, I remember doing a course in PR um, mm public relations and I guess I use it today yeah um, and you know just I always think that learning the learning is never wasted yeah you know it's funny you mentioned fashion or the aesthetics uh, behind it and we don't always think of at least the you know sort of natural perception especially in the study or the learning of some of these stem topics we don't think of the aesthetics or the beauty behind it all at the forefront of it and 
you know, communicating about that is so vital, particularly for the the novice or the um, sort of science naive learner um, in that way. And and I wonder if it's you know for you not only just in your career, but I imagine that it's actually brought out new and novel ways to actually tell the story of science or tell the story of engineering. And are you finding that because of that kind of passion for things like fashion or or, or art or aesthetic, that it it makes the storytelling easier? Yeah, I mean, first of all, there's so much beauty in science. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I studied computational fluid dynamics, which basically uses mathematical equations to predict how gases and liquids would flow. And often the computer simulations, you know, were color coded, there were vectors all over the place. Um, and, you know, hot would be represented by reds and cold would be represented by blues. And then you'd have all colors in between. I mean, they were beautiful. The simulations were beautiful. And, um, and, I don't think it's just me that would recognize the beauty in 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 science and so you know often because i work in a very visual medium um i take so much pleasure in being able to show people you know i remember a story i did on how hummingbirds hover and the data in understanding how hummingbirds hover was used to better design drones Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and the experiments they had to set up in like a dark sort of um, laboratory where they would spray a fine mist of oil into the room and then they would shine lasers into the into this dark room so that the lasers would bounce off the droplets of oil and then the hummingbirds would fly through and create all these amazing wind flow patterns because of their wings. And I was like, this is art in motion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think if there was a blending of art and science, it could be and has proved to be in the past very powerful. And, you know, someone like Einstein and Leonardo da Vinci, they were real polymaths where, you know, not only were they, you know, like with Leonardo da Vinci creating these amazingly detailed anatomical drawings, which helped people like you. Yeah. You know, absolutely. I don't think There's any of our anatomy uh, sort of knowledge would would be as at least visually stunning if it were not for some of that um, exploration, exactly. for sure. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a very quick break, we'll come back and resume our conversation with Dr. Shimi Somara. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Dr. Shini Somara. When you are able to translate that so elegantly um, and communicate it uh, in that way, in such a both visually and also sort of a fun way, is it hard to balance the commitment then and the devoting of your energy to the pursuit of further research or the the academic rigor of it, are, do those have to be mutually exclusive? I mean, especially given someone's time and energy, where you either are devoting a lot of your time towards communicating and translating the science versus the devotion that you have towards the research pursuit. 
It's been a journey because, you know, I, my PhD took me four and a half years. Um, and to really qualify, I, I had to be a genuine doctorate student. You know, right. I was extremely pedantic about my terminology. Everything had to be precise. You know, it was just accuracy was everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, your mindset when you're an academic is very different to a person that's communicating for television. And so it took me years to literally unravel. I was so tightly bound in the mindset of being an academic. You know, it took me years to become that and it took me years to unbecome it. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and it was almost painful in the beginning because I remember sort of having to describe what someone did on television. And, you know, I, I was saying, well, it's equivalent to, and, you know, I was being told I couldn't say the word equivalent because it was too complex. Mm. I had to say it's the same as, and I was like, I can't say that because it's right. inaccurate. It's yeah. equivalent to, um, which has a very specific meaning in science. Um, and so, there were painful moments where I just, I couldn't let go of the academic cloak I was wearing. Mm. Um, but I think what has um, correlated between me unraveling my academic um, mindset and going into an area of communication is my own sense of confidence, self-confidence. Um, because I think... Often when you're in an academic mindset, well, I'll just talk for myself, you have so much to prove and you want people to peer review you positively. You know, you want your colleagues to agree with your findings, to, you know, um, celebrate your research and things like that. And in television, it's more important that I... Um, reach people and connect with people than um, be sort of heralded as discovering something brand new. And there's a certain level of ego that's involved in that. And I guess to be in television, I've really had to drop my academic ego and care more about the message that I'm conveying Um, so that it's effective, that people have a take-home message, that they understand what I've been talking about. You know, it's more about others and less about me. Sure. Well, and sort of lending the the credibility to that, having the, you know, doctorate and the academic experience probably fuels some of that confidence. But it sounds like it's sort of like this teeter-totter of where your ego and where your energy lies too. And I'm, I'm imagining that that can be tough. You know, for both of those things, they, they require a fair amount of mentorship and guidance. I mean, certainly in the academic world, you know, that's the case. Who, who, who do you go to for seeking out mentorship and guidance, um, you know, in, in your world? Gosh, I don't. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, I accepted a while back that what I was doing was um, very different and unconventional. And so I kind of got used to the idea that trailblazing, if you want to call it that, is a very lonely path. Mm. And um, I've kind of, 
I have trodden quite a lonely path generally because, you know, growing up um, as first generation of immigrants in the UK, I mean, I was always different for one reason or another. So I was kind of used to it, familiar with that um, kind of uh, perspective. Mm. And so uh, I'm just used to doing things on my own. And as a result, I um, don't really check in with anyone uh, mentor-wise. I honestly don't know anyone that's done what I'm doing um, or has has come from the same sort of background. I have certain people that I admire and I really um, look up to, but these are people who um, I don't... I can't access directly. And so, you know, I follow them on social media or whatever, and I take so much inspiration from them. Mm. Um, But I would love to be able to meet them one day. It would be amazing to meet my personal icons. Um, But I think the upshot of all of that is that I have become incredibly thick skinned. Yeah. Um, So that's good, you know, to. And it builds up your resilience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, and is that important? Does it does it fuel or or for that matter, uh, make it easier for you to mentor others? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think is really important with mentorship is to be able to share your experiences with others without um, sort of uh, forcing them to do things the way you did them. Yeah, and that takes a certain level of uh, humility, I guess, because sure. you know, often people that I mentor, I want to say, "Don't do that." I can see that you're, you know, about to make a huge mistake, but actually, I've really learned to let people have their own journey in life, and it's none of my business. Um, I can only relay to them the experiences I've had and then let people make their own decisions. I think that's key when it comes to mentoring. You mentioned the journey and you mentioned all of the things that you've um, become more and more resilient at and developed so much confidence and trust in your own work and in so many of the the great things that are forthcoming. Um, For you as a, a woman of color in science and tech and media in 2021, what are you optimistic about? What are you hopeful for as you go forward? Um, I'm really optimistic that women are gaining a voice and confidence and um, are more badass than they've ever been. And that just makes me so happy and and optimistic because... um, Certainly back in my day, which makes me sound really old, but I kind of am. Um, I I just, I didn't have the levels of courage and self-confidence and self-esteem, particularly as a woman of color, um, that I see girls have today. And it's really encouraging that men are stepping up and saying, you know what, I want to support you women in, in, in what you're pursuing. I mean, that just, it really warms my heart because, yeah, when I was graduating, I just, 
the mentality was so different then. It was very, it was very old school. And I think a book has been written called Brotopia, where it was like a old boys club. And I mean, it's, it was so intimidating. And um, as a result, like I really, I didn't flourish in what I studied. Mm. Um, And that's a terrible shame to, to waste all of that investment of time studying something and becoming expert in something. But I see women today, women and girls really, um, just not behaving the same way you know they have more of a sense of what they want to do with their careers they have less um fear in managing to juggle both motherhood and careers which is something that i really struggled with um and you know there's just there's more opportunity for women today and i'm so happy for for that this generation who's able to be on a more equal playing field. Yeah. Well, Cheney, we're, we're all grateful for it. And um, I can't thank you enough for all you do. And we're so excited for all the things that are forthcoming. Um, Dr. Shini Somara, thank you so much for, for joining us. And I hope you'll come back and visit with us again. I hope so too. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. The pleasure was really ours, Shini who, by the way, has attained rock star status in my house with our two scientist engineering enthusiast teams. You can learn more about her at drshinisomara.com. A big thank you also to every educator out there who teaches and inspires. You're the ignition to future learning for all of us. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. This is Anita Lerge. Make sure to check out my show Around the World with Anita on Wednesdays, 11 a.m. Pacific Time, only on Rockers Avenue Radio.